Welcome to Failed Utopia, the podcast about utopian ideas and paradise lost. We look at utopian concepts of the past, present, and future, as well as utopian communities and cults, which promise the world to eager followers, but inevitably fail when it all starts to unravel. friends, welcome back. It's Anna, your cheerful, charming podcast host. Today, I'm filling you in on something you might have seen in the headlines recently. The death of Love Has One leader, Amy Carlson, also known as Mother God. The bizarre circumstances reported by the media have put the spotlight on this group for the public. But for cult watchers, this group has been on their radar for a while now. What is this group all about, and what could have led to the remains of its leader being discovered decomposing in a house in Colorado, decorated with glitter and string lights, and the arrests of seven cult members? Some episodes of this podcast contain disturbing or upsetting topics. Use your discretion for yourself and those around you. This won't be appropriate for kids. If you feel you need support, please consider asking for help through a crisis line, a mental health professional, or a loved one. I have resources including crisis hotline phone numbers listed in the show notes. The Love Has One cult may have just blasted onto the world stage with some recent news headlines, but the group has been around for about 10 years or so. 45-year-old former McDonald's franchise manager Amy Carlson founded the group. Her official name in the cult is Mother God, but followers call her Mom. That's very Jim Jones. The folks at Jonestown called him Dad. It's hard to say how many members the cult has because it's decentralized and a lot of their activity takes place online, but people who have spent time looking into the group estimate there are about 20 hardcore members who live at the group's compounds, of which there are believed to be at least three, the one in Colorado where the body was discovered, one in Florida, and at least one more God knows where, maybe in your town. Who can say? But then there's the online community. The group has followers all over the world who don't live in Love Has One compounds, but consider themselves part of the group and send the group money. In total, this number is believed to be somewhere between 100 and 200 people, but it's hard to say. So what attracts people to Love Has One? Love Has One has it all. Astrology, horoscopes, alternative medicine, self-help, faith healing, remote brain surgery, conspiracies, aliens, doomsday ascension, and that's just the short list. It's like they took every New Age fad, cult idea, and conspiracy out there and just borrowed all the things, tried them out, and kept the things that worked. Now, for the reason I just mentioned, I'm not going to try to put it together into a coherent theology and make it all make sense for you guys. Number one, believe it or not, I don't have that kind of time on my hands. (laughs) I know, big surprise. And number two, I think it's an impossible task given the sheer volume and breadth of their expansive and, dare I say, incoherent theology. Also, I don't want to be the reason you guys have to go and purge your brains. So let me just mention a few of the major threads that seem to tie it all together to give you an idea of what type of group this is. Buckle up. Amy Carlson, the group's leader, is Mother God. For the record, this is not the Judeo-Christian God, but an entirely different God creator of the universe, including millions of planets and the different races that inhabit them. 
Earth is the last of these worlds to ascend to the fifth dimension. We are currently living here on Earth in the third dimension, 3D land, as they sometimes call it. And every human on Earth, including you and me, has a soul contract with Mother God in the fifth dimension to help Earth ascend to the fifth dimension. But while we inhabit Earth trying to accomplish this goal, we are all subjected to social conditioning, which they call ego, I think, which obstructs us from ascending. So basically, there are some type of evil forces that are trying to prevent this ascension from happening. And Mother God's job is to show us all the way and lead us, of course, to the ascension. So we're all here on Earth temporarily working on that and trying to fulfill this soul contract with Mother God so that Earth can finally ascend to the fifth dimension. So far, so good, right? Well, maybe not for all of us. I also heard only 144,000 chosen ones will be going to the fifth dimension. Reincarnation is also big with the group. Mom has been reincarnated something like 500 times. She was Marilyn Monroe one of those times. There's also a lot of random and frankly just cliche paranoia like the CIA is trying to assassinate her. They believe in something called Lemuria, which is a mythical lost world, the descendants of which still live inside Mount Shasta. In another of her lives, Amy was the queen of Lemuria, and Donald Trump was her dad there. Cannot make this stuff up, guys. One of Amy Carlson's big influences was Lee Carroll, who is a prolific New Age author who claims to be channeling an alien named Cryon, who is somehow related to the Archangel Michael and is one of the beings in the fifth dimension, along with several other beings who together form a high council. Some of the other beings on this high council include Master Saint Germain, which is a whole nother can of worms I will not open right now, and Robin Williams. Yes, the late actor Robin Williams has been co-opted into this cult's ascension lore. Anyway, Lee Carroll mentored Amy and seemed to have a huge influence on her beliefs and kicked off her remembrance journey, which I'm about to tell you about. Amy Carlson has gone by many different names. Gaia, Sophia Gaia, Spider Woman was one of them. Pretty sure that's copyright infringement. Prime Creator, White Buffalo Calf. That's cultural appropriation and a little foreshadowing. I'm going to tell you guys about another really pathetic cultural appropriation incident later that's even dumber. These revisions and rebrands were seemingly justified by Amy saying it was a process of remembrance to finally remember that she is Mother God. Like, she had to go through all these phases to come to the realization of who she truly is, I guess. And likewise, the group itself has rebranded many times. I'm speculating, but I think this probably served a dual purpose. For one, it seems that cult leaders have to periodically do course corrections when things don't go the way they said they would. They have to come up with different ways to explain unexpected events to their followers. Or when the cult leader inevitably becomes more and more unhinged, they may make big changes within the group for their own benefit, but they have to do some mental gymnastics to make it make sense for their followers and keep them in the game. The other purpose I think it probably serves to have the group constantly evolving and rebranding itself is that these groups can get on the radar of law enforcement and just find themselves on the bad side of the communities where they set up shop. A name change could be one simple way to let them fly under the radar a little bit longer after they've started to draw unwanted attention. 
Anyway, Love Has Won was basically just the latest iteration of Amy Carlson's group. As far as Amy Carlson's history and how she came to be a cult leader, prior to starting Love Has Won, she was part of another cult which was led by a man who called himself Father God. She came to believe she was Mother God counterpart to Father God, but allegedly she was subjected to abuse within that group and left after being locked in a closet by Father God for a month. And later, part of her story became that her trauma was all a part of waking up to the reality of being Mother God and being responsible for ascending Earth to the fifth dimension. Amy Carlson has also been accused of abusing her followers in Love Has Won. She was a heavy drinker and would go on nightly binges, launching into drunken, expletive-filled screaming fits, some of which can be viewed by the curious on YouTube. Former members have said they were manipulated, brainwashed, only allowed to sleep four hours a night, and brutally, sometimes violently punished and humiliated, publicly shamed, and screamed at for the smallest of transgressions, such as bringing the wrong food home for dinner. Based on video I've seen, being anywhere near Amy Carlson looks like hell. And this trauma and abuse thing, well, the Love Has One cult has been accused by critics and former members and families of current and former members of targeting people with mental illness and a history of addiction or abuse. And they target them for financial exploitation. One of their methods of recruitment is called an ascension assessment. This is an online or phone conversation once they have somebody on the hook, and they probably get people to reveal their life struggles and traumas and background in these conversations because they do then target folks with those mental health and substance abuse and abuse histories I mentioned as well as people who are already engaging with unconventional or conspiracy-type beliefs. But these people, they're basically being interviewed or screened to see if they are susceptible as a potential member or mark, and they try to get money out of them. So the group gets by financially on what they would call donations, and people have reportedly paid huge amounts, like $60,000 in one guy's case, to the group before going to join the group in person, if they ever do join in person. Like I said, they have this international virtual community and then a small number of people who live at the actual compounds in the U.S. People living at the communes are called the First Contact Ground Crew. Another way the group made money was through Gaia's Whole Healing Essentials, which was a product line of alternative health products. They sold stuff like crystals and different lotions and potions with essentially magical health promises. They believe that there are these, like, energetic healing methods that can heal you 100% from any disease or problem. So they really made outlandish claims, and I think that site also is down now, but um, one of the products they hawked extensively was colloidal silver. If you haven't heard of it, it's an internet pseudo-wellness fad slash scam. Silver is not an essential nutrient and has no function or benefit in the human body. It's harmful in large amounts, and when it builds up in the body's tissue— It can cause argyria, which is a permanent bluish-gray discoloration of the skin, and it's made worse by sun exposure, which may sound like an unrelated detail, but it actually comes into play later. In large doses over a long period of time, it can also be toxic, causing seizures and organ damage. Gaia's Whole Healing Essentials was warned by the FDA and the FTC last year, for their claims regarding colloidal silver, and I think that they had drawn unwanted attention by promoting it as a COVID cure, but they considered it like a cure-all. So anyway, that was another scammy way the group took in money. Their recruitment strategy seems to take place largely online, although I have heard of members being recruited by door-to-door proselytizing as well. 
Their chaotic and alarming website went down after the arrests were made at the end of April, so I wasn't able to waste a bunch of time down that rabbit hole, which honestly may be for the best. I don't know if the site got taken down by the group or if it was a law enforcement thing. Either way, I'm not sure what the purpose was given that they have a presence on just about every social media platform and their main method of communicating is their YouTube channel called 5D Full Disclosure, which they live stream on nearly every day, often twice a day, sometimes for multiple hours a day. I'd say the average is like 45 to 90 minutes a couple times a day. They call these live streams daily event energy updates or new earth daily ascension updates. What do they talk about? Well, it's just rambling mostly about ascension and self-help and astrology and a million other wildly disparate things. This really reminds me of Heaven's Gate, the ascension stuff, but also the style of communication, which is just this chaotic fire hose of new agey pseudo-spiritual mumbo-jumbo that is just overwhelming. But if you get a conspiracy-minded individual or even a mentally ill individual to go down the rabbit hole on this, there's no end because there's just so much. And in this case, it seems that it was constantly evolving through many different iterations. But yeah, they call that experience of seeing patterns or connections in random or meaningless data apophenia. And that's something all humans experience. It's just part of how our brains work, and we're exceptionally good at pattern recognition, which seems to have served some evolutionary purpose. That's why we can see Jesus on a burnt piece of toast, or an elephant in the clouds, or whatever. It also underpins the gambler's fallacy. But it can also lead to the type of inaccurate and wild connection-making we see with conspiracy thinking. QAnon is a perfect example of this. And when it goes from the normal, very common apophenia we all experience in our daily lives to something a little more extreme, with people insisting on meaningful correlations between unrelated events or ideas, it can be considered a symptom of psychosis, contributing to the development of paranoia and delusions. So yeah, that's Love Has One's YouTube channel, and they get into people's feeds just based on the algorithm if people are already watching New Age or conspiracy-type stuff. For a long time, it was mostly Mother God on the live streams, but a couple of years ago, she became seriously ill and stepped back a bit from doing the live streams, so other members, especially the First Contact ground crew, started doing them more. Amy's illness is assumed to have been cancer. Her health was declining precipitously over the past couple of years, and in the late summer or fall of last year, 2020, she and some of the Love Has One members went to Hawaii and moved into a vacation rental house on Kauai, purportedly for the sake of Amy's health. One of the people who went with her was her partner, whose name is Jason, and he has his own checkered past. He's also known in the cult as Father God. There have apparently been a few different Father Gods over the years, but I guess they come and go as they start and stop romantic relationships with Mother God. There's this support website for former Love Has One members, families, and even people who are thinking of joining up. And while I was just idly browsing some of the comments on that site, I saw this one. Do you remember when you told me I was Father God, but changed your mind when I didn't fit your expectations? Ouch, this lady was leaving a trail of broken Father God hearts. Okay, so back to Kauai. Mother God, Father God, and about a dozen of their followers moved into this beach house on Kauai. I have heard that by this time, Amy's cancer was so advanced that she was paralyzed from the waist down. So she was very, very sick. But instead of just, I don't know, enjoying the beach and taking care of her health, the group 
started making waves. The main thing that made the shit hit the fan was when Amy started saying she was the goddess of volcanoes and the creator of the islands. Well, guess what? The locals, and especially native Hawaiians, got pretty offended and pretty mad. Because actually, there is a Hawaiian goddess of fire, and it's Pele, not Amy Carlson. Plus, once the locals figured out the group's identity as a cult, they just didn't want them there. And, I mean, who can blame them? Nobody wants a creepy cult in their backyard. Anyway, there were protests against Love Has Won, things escalated, eggs and rocks were thrown at the house, and a car in the driveway was damaged, Kauai's mayor got involved, and ultimately, in September, the police were so worried about escalating conflict that they made arrangements for the group to fly off the island and escorted them to the airport. So basically, they were run off the island. The local news over there was covering this in real time, of course, and in some of the articles, Love Has One members made comments to reporters that were just unbelievably tone-deaf. It's basically all the victim cards saying Hawaiians just hate mainlanders, that they're being persecuted and all that. And I'm not saying that it was okay to harass them, but there's just literally no self-awareness on display about anything they could possibly have done to make themselves unwelcome. Like, it hasn't ever even occurred to them that it could have been offensive for a middle-aged lady from Kansas to show up on the island and say, Hey, natives, I'm your goddess. (laughs) My takeaway is just that the group is so insular and so wrapped up in their ideology that they lack the capacity to communicate effectively or relate with people outside the group at this point. And I guess you could say that's a hallmark of a cult. So anyway, they all came back from Hawaii to Crestone or wherever they were living. But before we move on, there's one more thing to say about the Hawaii incident. In photos taken around that time, Amy appeared emaciated, had thinning hair, and her skin was gray and discolored. Her cancer could account for some of this, but remember what I said about colloidal silver? She was known to take large amounts of this snake oil her group pushed as a health panacea. And being in the Hawaiian sun could also have contributed to a worsening of Argeria symptoms, which is what I was alluding to earlier. It does seem possible that some of the health problems she experienced near the end of her life could have been worsened by a toxic buildup of silver in her tissue, accounting for her skin's blue-gray appearance. And that brings us up to the present. Amy Carlson's remains were discovered in a trailer home in Crestone, Colorado, on April 28th, almost a month ago as of this recording. A Love Has One member who owned the home reported finding the body to the local sheriff. He said that other group members had contacted him and asked if they could stay the night at his home. He agreed, but he was not there at the time. When he returned to the home, That's when he found Amy Carlson's remains on a bed and set up as a shrine, her body wrapped in a sleeping bag, decorated with Christmas lights, and with glitter makeup surrounding her empty eye sockets. Mummified is what the news headlines are calling it. I don't know why this guy had a problem with it when the rest of the group members didn't, but when he made to leave and contact authorities, Some news outlets have reported that another group member grabbed his two-year-old son and refused to let him leave. But he did get away and contact authorities, who executed a warrant at the property and discovered the body. They arrested seven adults who were in the home and discovered two children, the homeowner's two-year-old son and a 13-year-old girl who was the daughter of another of the adults arrested that day. As far as I know, the young girl has been placed with social services. As of this recording, the charges against the seven adults arrested have to do with tampering with a corpse and child abuse. Apparently, having your kids living in a home with a dead body isn't considered acceptable parenting these days. I don't know about the child abuse charges, but the tampering with a corpse thing would carry a sentence of around 18 months if convicted, 
but it sounds like a few more charges are being added on that could potentially carry longer sentences. The man who reported the body in his home was not on the list of those arrested, so I'm not sure what his status is or whether his son currently remains in his custody. I would assume that once Amy Carlson's body was taken by authorities, that it likely would be autopsied to determine cause and manner of death. It may be some time before we hear more, but I expect this will be a developing news story, and we may learn a bit more about how she died and what happened to her body afterward in the coming weeks or months. There are currently no charges relating to Amy's actual death, so I think the most likely scenario is probably that she passed away due to her advanced cancer. I'm not really sure why just about every news outlet is describing her body as mummified. By my standard, nothing about the reported state of the body, at least so far, is consistent with mummification. First of all, she was decomposing. Mummification preserves the body by embalming or drying it out. According to LiveScience.com, mummification is the process of preserving the body after death by deliberately drying or embalming flesh. This typically involved removing moisture from a deceased body and using chemicals or natural preservatives such as resin to desiccate the flesh and organs. Mummies are also created by unintentional or accidental processes, which is known as natural mummification. This can happen when a dead body is exposed to extreme cold, very dry conditions, or some other environmental factor that mitigates against decay." End quote. Whereas Amy Carlson's body was found in a state of decay, advanced to the point that she had to be identified by dental records, her teeth were showing through her lips, and she had no fingerprints remaining. So kids, I guess that's why it's important to read past the headlines. Her eyes were either rotted away or deliberately removed. Different news outlets have reported this differently. Removal of internal organs would be part of an actual mummification process, but removing just the eyes would be an extremely big stretch to check that box. Side note, I think I might have misspoken a bit in the last episode about the Blackburn slash Great Eleven cult, which coincidentally also featured a rather disturbing story about the improper treatment and disposal of a corpse. But I talked about embalming and removing internal organs. That is a myth. Internal organs are removed during autopsy and in mummification, as the ancient Egyptians and other cultures practiced it. But in the embalming process, the internal organs, brain, and soft tissue are not removed. The organs in the chest and abdominal cavities are just punctured and drained of gas and fluid contents, and formaldehyde-based chemicals are injected. Oh god, feeling a little nauseous over here. <laughs> okay guys, I'm gonna move on from this creepy stuff I'm talking about in a minute, but first, I just have to read you guys a little excerpt from that Live Science article about mummification, because it's just that interesting, I can't not. We all know the Egyptians were really into mummies, but guess what? There were other cultures around the world practicing mummification way before that. The first known civilization to practice mummification was the Chinchoro culture from what is modern-day Chile. This is from the article. The Chinchoro practice of mummification began around 7,000 years ago, some two millennia before the first known Egyptian mummies. Although the practice became more sophisticated over time, the basic process remained the same. It involved the removal of soft tissue, organs, and brains. The hollow body was then dried out and reassembled. The skin was stuffed with reeds, dried plants, or other vegetal matter. 
Sticks were inserted into the arms and legs. Clay masks were placed on the corpses' faces, and wigs were often attached. The finished mummy was then painted. And then later in the article, not just the elite, but all segments of Chinchoro society were mummified, including infants, children, adults, and even fetuses. It was in ancient Egypt, however, that mummification reached its greatest elaboration. Unlike in Chinchoro society, mummification in ancient Egypt was typically reserved for the elite of society, such as royalty, noble families, government officials, and the wealthy. Common people were rarely mummified because the practice was expensive. End quote. So, while historically speaking, mummification was a respectful, even venerating way to treat the dead, as were many other ways different cultures around the world have chosen to dispose of their dead, today we have laws that govern how we must handle the remains of our loved ones, regardless of religious beliefs. This is something I've never really had a reason to look into before. But apparently, each state in the U.S. has a law regarding how long you are allowed to hang on to the body of your deceased loved one at home. Usually, that falls in the range of a few days. Fraser Consulting, which is like a funeral home technology consultancy, offers this helpful advice on their website under the heading, Are There Any Tips for Preserving the Body While at Home? When making funeral arrangements, in most cases, embalming is not required. However, if the burial or cremation isn't within a certain amount of time, some states may require embalming or refrigeration. If you're keeping the body at home for a few days, you should use dry ice or ice packs to temporarily preserve the body. End quote. So basically, a few days is probably the maximum amount of time to keep your deceased loved one at home for both practical and legal considerations. According to Stimmel Law, the right to a decent burial has long been recognized at common law. And per the case Sherman v. Sherman, the right to possession of a dead human body for the purpose of burial is, under ordinary circumstances, in the spouse or other relatives of the deceased. End quote. The next of kin also determine how to dispose of the body, unless the wishes of the decedent are known. Most states and courts uphold the decedent's wishes first and foremost. Then if those are unknown or cannot be carried out, the right goes to the next of kin. Also, especially relevant to this conversation, per the case Wolf v. Rosehill Cemetery Association, the matter of the disposition of the dead is so involved in the public interest, including the public's health, safety, and welfare, that it is subject to control by law, instead of being subject entirely to the desires, whim, or caprice of individuals. End quote. I would describe the state of Amy's body to have been subject to the whim or caprice of individuals. She had likely been deceased for several weeks when authorities recovered her, and the man who tipped off law enforcement about the body believed it had been transported from California to the home in Colorado sometime after her death. Here's another relevant quote from Stimma Law and their very helpful website, which is linked in the show notes. In many cases, the manner of disposal is dominated by spiritual concerns and a desire to show respect for the dead and may be highly ritualized. This event may be part of a larger funeral ritual. In other circumstances, such as war or natural disaster, practical concerns may be forefront. Many religions, as well as legal jurisdictions, have set rules regarding the disposal of corpses. Since the experience of death is universal to all humans, practices regarding corpse disposal are a part of nearly every culture. Then they talk about the most common methods of disposal, which are burial and cremation. Shockingly, mummification is not even mentioned. Then they continue, Many jurisdictions have enacted regulations relating to the disposal of human bodies. Although it may be entirely legal to bury a deceased family member, 
The law may restrict the locations in which this activity is allowed, in some cases expressly limiting burials to property controlled by specific licensed institutions. Furthermore, in many places, failure to properly dispose of a body is a crime. In some places, it is also a crime to fail to report a death and to fail to report the disposition of the body. Unquote. So, in case anyone out there was wondering why people were arrested for making Amy Carlson's body into a shrine and not allowed to handle her body according to their own religious beliefs, now we know. Ultimately, in regard to possession of the body, that right and the right to determine the manner of disposal should have fallen to Amy's next of kin. And that wasn't her cult followers. She has a next of kin, her son. That's right, she has a son. His name is Cole, and he's 25 years old. He's not part of the cult. He's given news media interviews since his mother's passing, and what I've learned is that Amy abandoned Cole when he was 10 years old, and they've been estranged ever since. Cole says the reason for this is that she left him for the purpose of going and starting a cult. He characterizes himself as an average guy in every way, except his mother happened to be a cult leader. And his main concern in the aftermath of his mother's death is that the cult should be disbanded and some kind of restitution made to the cult's members, many of whom paid large sums of money to the cult, and he expresses concern for their families as well. He seems like a nice, normal, well-adjusted guy. And while it's always tragic for a child to be estranged from or abandoned by a parent, it does seem like Cole's life probably turned out for the better, being raised safely away from Love Has Won. But the point I want to make about this child abandonment thing is this. Why did Amy abandon her actual child only to go on to form a cult where she fashioned herself as the ultimate mother figure, mother god, and made all her followers who weren't her kids call her mom? I'm not a licensed mental health professional, but there's something going on there. And just for the record, when I say maybe Cole was better off without her or maybe her followers would have been, I don't mean to make out like the premature death of Amy Carlson was a good thing either. She was a person and she had people who loved her. Yes, her cult followers, but also her biological family who loved her and wished she hadn't gone down the cult rabbit hole. In fact, her sister gave an interview in which she said something very similar that her sister wasn't innocent, but that she didn't deserve what happened to her. And that kind of got me thinking, what happened to her? I'm not sure if her sister was referring to her life in the cult or her illness or the way her body was treated after her death, but I've started wondering, whose idea was it that her body be treated the way it was? Amy Carlson had a terminal illness and knew she was dying for a while, maybe for years. This means she had a lot of time to prepare her followers for her death and give them any instructions about what should happen with the group after she was gone and what to do with her. What do you guys think? Is it more likely that her followers just came up with this weird idea for the glitter eye sockets and the string lights on their own, or that she told them what to do with her before she died? It's hard to say, but I have a hard time believing her followers came up with this weird idea to mutilate her corpse and turn it into a shrine all on their own. Maybe we'll find out more when the pending court cases unfold. But let's switch gears for a minute and talk about Crestone, Colorado, where Amy Carlson's body was discovered in the location of Love Has One's headquarters. Crestone is in a remote area, the San Luis Valley of Colorado, which is known to be home to a number of alternative communes and cults. Love Has One is far from the only New Age spiritual group operating in the area. A friend of mine texted me the news story about Amy Carlson's death, and he mentioned that he used to live in the San Luis Valley near Crestone, and that I should look into the area. 
So I was like, yeah, okay, sounds interesting. I'll put it on my list. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, Crestone, I know something about that, but what is it? Well, a few days later, I remembered it was season two of the podcast Up and Vanished. I don't know how many of you remember Up and Vanished by the documentarian Payne Lindsay. Season one was an investigation into the Tara Grinstead missing person case before it broke, and it was a huge, huge deal in investigative true crime podcasting. But season two was an investigation into the disappearance of a woman from Crestone. So in the course of investigating, Payne and his team kind of go into what type of a place it is and some of the groups and colorful characters that are operating in the area. And let's just say it gets weird. But basically, it's this tiny town with an actual population of less than 150. But because it's considered a New Age religious mecca, it draws in thousands of spiritual truth seekers. And just to be crystal clear, there's no link between that case from about five years ago and Love Has Won, as far as I know. But anyway, the point is, Crestone is a place that really does seem to draw not just people who may be looking to lead alternative lifestyles under the radar, but also some more extreme groups, including cults like Love Has Won. And the reason I'm making this a thing isn't to pick on people from Colorado, it's just a reminder that there are thousands of these kinds of groups operating around the world today, as we speak. And there were many reports made to the sheriff in that county about Love Has Won over the years, accusing the group of brainwashing and financial scams. But... I guess the sheriff's office never had legal grounds to intervene with the group until now. But remember, none of the charges now in play have to do with the group being a cult. Being in a cult is not illegal after all. And of course, they don't say they're a cult, they say they're a religion. And none of the charges have to do with brainwashing or abuse or financial scams for that matter. No, the only criminal charges have to do with mishandling a corpse and child abuse. But was living in a trailer with a decaying corpse really the first instance of abuse these poor kids experienced in their lives inside the cult? That doesn't seem likely to me. Sadly, religious abuse is a problem our society has not solved. We can only hope these kids get some good support and therapy and have a brighter future ahead than being raised in a cult. But undoubtedly, they have a tough road ahead of them. So, is this the end of the line for the group? Well, they've continued their daily live streams on YouTube since Mother God's death and since the discovery of the body and the news headlines. This next bit is an excerpt from a live stream from May 15th. This clip I'm going to play you is about five minutes from an hour-long stream, and I'm going to be cutting in periodically with some commentary, so don't worry, you won't have to just listen to it for five minutes straight. When we come in, I think they've just finished a continuation from a previous video, which was like going over the seven stages of grief and talking about depression in kind of this, you know, like mystical, self-helpy type way. And they don't explicitly say, but, you know, since it's kind of shortly after Mother God's death, I would assume they're kind of approaching it because the group's dealing with that right now. Um, So anyway, that's where we're coming in. And uh, here you go. Let's listen. You know, so you can kind of see that roller coaster ride as we move through the stages of grief and how ultimately you come to the end, which is acceptance. Um, and you start to see that more towards the end of that cycle, even in depression, that you have to accept it. There's no changing it um, for whatever it is meant for. It's meant to grow you and it's an experience you contracted for, um, but it is meant for you to fully go through and process that and honor <clears throat> you know, that process. So, yeah, that's the seven stages of grief. <laughs> Thank you, George. Yeah. yeah, it's a really helpful roadmap 
you know, like he was saying, when you're in the middle of all this, it's nice to know, <clears throat> to at least have a reference point. Like, oh, I think I'm more here now. I'm getting kind of more depressed. We'll work through that, you know. We'll get out and get in the sun and do some activity that will bring me joy. And <clears throat> what I have found myself doing is just, even though I don't want to do it, it's just start doing it, you know, start getting into the flow. And then the next thing you know, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll crack a smile now. And you just start, you know, you play the music and things will start to to work in your favor because you're, you're showing the universe, you're showing mom that you want to work through it. You want to transform. You don't want to go into this black hole, into this, this dark abyss, you know, is there an element of feeling into it? And I, and, and really, you know, going through that process? Yes. But you don't want to attach to it. You don't want to let it bog you down. You know, you know, there, you want it to motivate you to know that, you are alive and you have something so big, so grand to contribute. And if anything mom showed us along this path is her greatest joy is all of you being your greatest, grandest versions. And, and that is being masters of energy, understanding how important you really are, that how you feel truly matters. What you do every day really plays a role and has an effect on your surroundings. And that's grand. You know, we, we can't let our power continue to be just siphoned away and continue to mope around in this depression. And I hope a lot of you aren't filling up trash bags full of gas and putting them in your trunk. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Concerns. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm going to stop here for a second. And uh, so, you know, first of all, this, what we've heard so far, it's actually, you know, it sounds pretty reasonable. It's positive. It's affirmative. Uh, you can kind of see how some, you know, person who's looking for something uh, would hear this. They're saying, you know, you matter, you're powerful, you have a purpose, these kinds of, you know, affirmative messages. Uh, but the real reason I wanted to stop it right here was this thing about the plastic bags full of gas. <laughs> so it, if you're outside of the U.S. listening to this, you're probably really confused by this. But just really briefly um, here recently, there was a cyber attack on a gas pipeline in the southeastern United States, and they did temporarily shut down the pipeline um, and it wasn't really going to be a big deal as far as causing a gas shortage or anything. But since this is America, people reacted with insanity and there was a huge run on gas in the southeast region. And so people were, you know, there were like miles long lines for gas stations and people were uh, stockpiling and hoarding gasoline and so there was this video circulating that showed somebody filling up plastic bags with gas. And, you know, I, I don't know actually if that was a real video or if it was just some, you know, somebody made it to go viral. We really don't know that. But this rumor was so widely circulated that, um, officials had to put out an, a statement <laughs> saying, Please do not fill unsafe containers like plastic bags with gas. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was stupid, but it kind of goes from like, um, oh, ha ha, that was stupid to tragic stupid when you realize that there were at least a couple of people who filled up their SUVs with containers of gasoline and then like got in a fender bender on the way home or something and blew up. So, I mean, I, honestly, I wasn't even following this news story, but I just happened to come across at least two um, news articles like that. So, yeah, it was dumb. But anyway, the reason, okay, that was kind of a weird diversion. But the reason I'm talking about this here is that it kind of speaks to the state of mind of these guys, right? They're laughing at the plastic bag gas people, but they're members of a group that thinks that 
like remote psychic brain surgery over the phone by this lady who says she's the creator of the universe is fine. But these plastic bag gas people are just crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just that there's really no like hint of irony or self-awareness coming from them. They're like, oh, we would never do something outrageous like that. And so, you know, I think it just shows that they see themselves as entirely rational, right? They see themselves as the critical thinkers of the world. So that was just a kind of long and circuitous way of pointing that out. Uh, let's go back to the video. Yeah, the key, is, the key is not to feed into the spin. You know, definitely there's, there's so much going on and I feel it's a test for everyone um, because no matter where you're at, you know, this is definitely just the collective energy going on for everyone and whatever experiences, there's a lot of upheaval. Mm -hmm. You know, so much is coming up. We have, you know, just gone through so many different energetic portals. We got another super moon coming up, two more eclipses. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there is windows after windows after windows of high voltage energy coming for this planet. And mom's not playing. Mom is, is kicking off the shoes and she, she's, she's boxing. She's going mm -hmm. for it. You know, so definitely, you know, this is all hands on deck. You know, this is. You know, we we did a lot of talking for years. You know, before all this, and everything kept saying, "Your know, mom's going. This is happening. It's go time. Got to get serious. Got to do it now." And everything like that. We're already past that point now. She's ascended. Okay, so this here, this is exactly what I was hoping not to hear. Why? Because what they're saying is that Amy Carlson hasn't died. She has ascended, guys. This is straight from the Heaven's Gate playbook. The fact that their leader died and nothing happened, like the world didn't end, we didn't all go to the fifth dimension, that's not holding them up. They see it as proof and validation of their beliefs. So what we have now is equating death with ascending to another dimension. Again, I'm just getting major Heaven's Gate vibes and some cult watchers over the past few years have worried about the suicide risk involved with this group. So I'm just going to say it. I'm worried about the group's members. I'm really worried. I wish we could at least say that with Amy Carlson out of the picture, maybe her followers have a chance to move on. But they're over here on YouTube talking about how this is it. This is what they've been preparing for. Everything is going according to mom's plan. As far as the danger level for this group, honestly, I think Amy Carlson's death actually kicked it up a notch. The needle is in the red right now. So I just sincerely hope that something gives and the group moves away from this dangerous mentality about death being a means of ascension. Here's just a little more from the video. So i.e. this point right now is these are the most serious moments of your experience in human physicality if there were any at this point you know if there was a moment for you to get on the ball and 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 stay on it and and get it these are the moments you do that you know this is what it was all for the years the sessions the live streams every single day day and night nine ten hours a day sometimes constantly pushing this is what it was all for mm -hmm. it wasn't for show and now everyone's starting to feel the experience, heighten the intensity of it, and just the thoughts. And the frequencies and energies coming in, you're starting to notice more and more and more, they are ramping up. Mm -hmm. And if you are not already staying on top of your practices and disciplines, if you are already not staying in the heart center, if you are already not staying in right action, in alignment with Mother God's source energies, then you are noticing very much so these energies are getting volatile, mm -hmm. you know, and this is what everyone's asked for because you cannot say one thing and walk around doing the complete opposite. We can no longer be humanity. We can no longer be contradictions anymore. We have to got, got to be 100% full integrity, honor and respect the divine laws. You know, therefore everyone has to go through the experience where the pressure is going to be put on everyone. 
And this is tough love. This is not the whole SOS life. Okay, let's stop it there. Um, that last little bit was just kind of doubling down. You know, they're saying you guys need to stay in the game. Uh, you need to redouble your efforts, rededicate yourselves, uh, keep sticking to the plan. So, yeah. And remember, that was just a few minutes out of hours of daily streaming of, you know, just more stuff like this, basically. So one last disturbing thing I want to say about this YouTube live stream is what I read in the live chat taking place while they were streaming this particular video. There are a bunch of just sort of generally affirmative posts like, thank you, mama God, stuff like that. And then there's this person. I won't say her handle, but she says, where can I find the teachings of mother? I can't find anything. Uh, could be because their website um, had been taken down at this point. Um, but somebody answers her, are you on Telegram? And a user says the new website is going to go live soon and then gives a couple of other places to find information, other videos on this channel and something called the Ascension Guide. So what I'm saying is there are people stumbling onto this on YouTube daily looking for this information who are interested in this cult. And there are members waiting who want to bring them in. Remember, this live stream was a while after Amy Carlson had died. The death of Amy Carlson was not the death of Love Has Won. Here's one more short excerpt from another live stream on YouTube. This is from May 21st, just a few days ago. Once again, why is no one talking about what mom did? It's the same thing with Dr. Phil. It's the same thing with Vice. It's the same thing with all the other moments that these things have happened. Why is it? It's like the mind is so obsessed with trying to figure it out. And they're so obsessed with the word cult. They bypass everything else it's like this deep cognitive dissonance and brain damage and it's like they're so hung up on trying to figure it out trying to say we're a cult well guess what everything you've ever said about us now has completely fallen apart and isn't even relevant saying we're forced to be here we're not allowed to leave we're held against our will what now what do you have now? You have fucking nothing. Now you should be embarrassed. Now you should actually be mortified of how dumb you are. Yep. And instead of, and then continuously bypassing mom's journey, continuously bypassing everything she did. You don't want to talk about what mom did because you know who she is. And the only thing that you can do is pick apart Everybody who supports her and loves her because somehow, some way you think in your mind that it's going to stop people from awakening and it's going to stop people from joining in love, both incorrect. Every single thing that the trolls have ever done has served mom and served the light. So there you have it, guys. We are stupid and we should be mortified by our stupidity because we just do not get it and we are dumb shits. So, touche, lady. I actually am mortified by how stupid I am sometimes, just not for that reason. <laughs> so, in conclusion, Love Has Won may have lost its leader, at least in this dimension, but it's not going anywhere. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other people find it. Tell your friends about it. And if you want to support the pod directly and help keep new episodes coming, you can donate to the show through the link at the bottom of the show notes. Connect and stay in the loop on the website, failedutopia.com or the Facebook page at Failed Utopia Pod. 
Filthytopia episodes are written and produced by me, Anna Roberts. The burning palm tree painting featured on the cover is by artist Perry Vasquez. My intro music is by Elliot Middleton. See you next time.